Happy Mother's Day. Uh, ladies, we are so grateful for you. I feel bad because, you know, I, I basically have to leave early. And so I was like, I, Aaron was still asleep and I kissed her. I was like, I love you. Happy Mother's Day. She's like, huh? I felt a little. So I'll make it up to her this afternoon. One of the things that's, uh, that's crazy about, um, being a mom, or at least in my experience of, um, watching, uh, my wife and even my own mom when I was growing up, although to a lesser extent, is that, uh, that, um, Women, I think, uh, and, and I don't know if, I don't know what the deal is. Maybe it's because a lot of them work now. A lot of y'all work. Um, and, but even women who don't work, I know, uh, it, 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 if you have kids, uh, there's this constant, like, there's this feeling like you're not doing enough. Um, that you're, uh, that you're maybe just failing in certain ways. Like, you're, you're you know, your kid, um, messes up and you're like, oh, if only I'd been a better parent, uh, then this wouldn't have happened. I see this over and over, uh, this sense of like, like there's this huge burden of, of being a mom and, and I'm just, I'm just not doing it right. And, and this question, I'd like to let it sit in the back of our heads today. Am I, am I a bad mom? Uh, they had a movie about this, which you can't watch because it's apparently very, very dirty. But the idea of the movie behind it is that it's like, it's like, uh, women are, are just expected to do so much in this culture, and, and, and really to be a great mom, you've got to be super woman, super girl, something like that. And I thought it might be encouraging if we, uh, if we just took a, a moment to really spend time with one of my favorite uh, texts in scripture, my favorite moments of parenting in scripture, uh, and, and really just, just see what, what, what God has to say about, you know, being a bad mom. And uh, for those of you who are not uh, who are not moms, those of you who are uh, women without children or women whose children have moved on, you've already done a great job or you've already failed. You know you are, who you are. Uh, it, it, th- there's still something here for you. Maybe you're a dude. Um, hey, Mother's Day! Super glad you showed up. I know um, you, it's a way to go. Uh, there's there's something here for you too. And and, and I, so I want you to stay with me as we as we um, journey through this text. I think we're going to see something um, for everybody. So so let's uh, let's take a look at uh, at the text. This is uh, my translation. Um, if you're familiar with uh, the Pew Bible, you can actually follow along the Pew Bible. You'll notice I've done some, some really updating of the language, and there's a couple places where I've really uh, updated, and I'll, I'll talk about those. But, but really, my goal here is to get you to feel this text, this story about um, young Jesus and Mary uh, in a really, really real way. So, um, so here we go. Let's read it. Now, every year, Jesus' parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem, as was their custom. After the festival was over, they were returning home, and the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know. Figuring that he was among their band of travelers, they journeyed on for a full day while looking for him among their family and friends. When they didn't find Jesus, they returned to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they finally found him in the temple. He was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and putting questions to them. Everyone who heard him was amazed by his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, his parents were almost out of their minds. His mother said, child, why did you do this to us? Seriously, your father and I have been going crazy searching for you. Jesus replied, and why exactly were you searching for me? Don't you know by now that it's necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he said to them. So Jesus went down to Nazareth with them, that's their home, and was obedient to them after that, apparently. 
And his mother sealed everything that happened up in her heart. Jesus matured in wisdom and years and in favor with God and men. Uh, if you're not familiar uh, with this story, you actually are familiar with it, probably. Um, because if you were alive in 1990 during Christmas time, you saw the modern retelling of this story uh, from Irish Catholic director John Hughes, Home Alone. Uh, you'll recall that uh, Home Alone is the story of um, a really large extended family who go on their annual uh, religious holiday. And while they're there, they, uh, they, they forget um, a young boy. And uh, while they're taking many days to find him, that young boy um, show, outsmarts all the adults around him and, and, and kind of grows up a little bit, right? I mean, that's this story. I wonder, uh, though, what... You can't, if you remember this, this movie, like the whole movie, uh, it, yeah, it centers on Macaulay Culkin, but there's a whole bunch of stuff about his mom. And his mom is like freaking out the whole movie. Uh, and with good reason, I mean, her, her kid is across the ocean and she's got to get back to him and, and she's stressed out and she's freaked out and, 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 and she just feels like the world's worst mom. I want, I want to look, uh, I want to look at our text and see uh, a, a couple of the, the, the differences here. All right. So the first thing you notice is that they, there, there are three days. This is very similar to the movie. There are three days they finally find him in the temple. And uh, that text, they're almost out of their minds. Really, the most translations really soften Luke's language. His language uh, literally is like um, that feeling you get when you see something so shocking that you almost pass out. That's, uh, that's, the, um, that's, that's where we're at here. Mary and Joseph have been running around for three full days, um, and, and, and they finally see their son. And he's like, cool, like nothing's going on. He's appara- I don't know what he's been doing at night, but apparently he's been taken care of by somebody. And he's just, just hanging out with the rabbis, doing some teaching. And, and they're, they're like, they, they have a moment where they just about completely lose it. And, uh, and, and what does Mary say? Child, why did you do this to us? Why did you do this to us? It's not like um, I did something wrong. It's interesting, interesting. She does not take any responsibility. This is all Jesus' fault. Interesting. Seriously, uh, the old language is behold, but in modern language, seriously, your father and I have been going crazy searching for you. We've been anxious and worried and terrified, and we've been losing it. And, and you're just calmly sitting here doing that. This is crazy. Isn't that interesting? Um, well, just compare. Compare to uh, what would happen if this happened to you today. So you're a mom. And um, you uh, <laughs> you lose track of your child for three to four days. Uh, what's going to happen to you? You're going to jail, okay? Uh, child Protective Services. You may have heard of this fabulous organization tearing kids away from their parents since 1974. No, uh, that that's what's going to happen to you because we live in a culture now. We're like, you left the child. I. So I was at preschool. I was dropping. I was learning about preschool at the preschool orientation, and uh, and the the director sternly reinforced us: if you ever leave your second child in the car while you're dropping your preschooler off, I will call CPS on you. And I was like, "Wow, that's serious." You're not messing around here. Like, I mean, it, seriously, it takes me about seven minutes or less to drive. And, and, and Alice could not sit in the car that long. Like, I mean, really? And the thing is, what's crazy is if she did call, CPS would show up. And they would be like, this is your first warning. We're coming back next time you do this. 
And yet you look at Mary's response. She's like, we did nothing wrong. We just lost track of our kid for four days. Not a big deal. You're the problem, Jesus. It's the first thing in your note sheets uh, here. Mary is a zero guilt mom. She's a zero guilt mom. She's like, whatever's going on in her life, she is not stressed about what the way that she's parenting. She's stressed about the way that her son is acting. Now that's a very strange thing. Can, I mean, seriously, if you put yourself, if you put yourself in this story, I suggest to everybody here would be racked with guilt. I remember one time our little dog, uh, very small, 3.5 pounds, um, we were, we had the, uh, one child, I think Alice, and we were driving her around in her cart, um, in a, in a, in like solving or something. And at some point, we don't know when, Piper jumped out of, of the car and ran away. When we realized that we had lost her, we, I mean, it was like the apocalypse. It was like, we are the worst parents in the world. This four, this small little person covered in hair entrusted to our care and we messed up. How dare we? And yet here's Mary with being a zero guilt mom. Why is that? Why is it that Mary has such a different reaction? I mean, of course we'd all be angry. Like, you did what? But there'd be a little bit of like, wasn't it kind of my job to sort of be watching for him? But, but look, let's go back to the text. Look at this. This is cool. Every year, Jesus' parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Every year they did this. And for Jesus, this is his 12th trip. What's interesting about this is that Mary, um, you know, th- this is not like Jesus' first rodeo. He knows how this is supposed to go. And his parents know how this is supposed to go. This is just a part of life for them. Uh, this is this is not something out of the ordinary for them. This is a part of their culture. They 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 have set their lives around God's calendar, right? It's a religious festival, Passover. It's something that God commands, and this wouldn't be easy or cheap to do in the ancient world to go down up from Nazareth down to Jerusalem. Uh, that's a that's a big trip, pretty expensive. You'd only be doing this if you were kind of serious about moving about shaping your life around God's life. The only types of people who would do this would be interested in shaping their lives around God's calendar, as it were. That's the first thing. So, so Jesus knows what he should be doing because his family has a, a, like a consistent sort of culture of, 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 of respecting and honoring God's wishes. And then look at the bottom here. The, the, this is the best part. Figuring that he was among their band of travelers, they journeyed on for a full day while looking for him among their family and friends. How many people go on vacation with you? Some of you, some of us, uh, have like, you know, travel buddies. Um, you know, growing up, uh, when we went camping in, in Mammoth, usually we'd go with Glenn and Kathy, the Eichlers. They would, you know, and then I could play with Jeff and Scott, and then, you know, the adults could look at the water. I don't know what adults do on a camping trip. Um, but, but we had this small little group, you know, and occasionally other people. Imagine what's going on here. Imagine this vacation every year. It takes them a full day to talk to every single one of their family and friends about whether or not they've seen Jesus. This is a, quote, band of travelers, a caravan, if you will. What this means is that every year we're talking 200, 300, maybe even 1,000 people are in this group that all get together and all travel to Jerusalem together. This is not like little family vacation, you know, go to uh, for a week at Disney World. This is like the entire community, all of Nazareth gets up and they all do this together. 
if, if, if we're talking hundreds of people, include family and friends, that means that there's probably even more than that. Uh, in that culture, friends, those are the people who are far enough away from you by blood that you'd probably think about marrying off your children together. That's what friends are in the ancient world, is possible mates for your kids. Family is not just mom, dad, kids. It's, uh, it's like your second cousin, third removed, um, his brother's uncle's friend. That's, that's family in the ancient world. It's extremely large. It's, it's, it's all encompassing. It's not just a small group. The, the idea being that what Jesus is experienced, what he's, what he's used to, what he's been, uh, growing up with is a very, very tight community of people who all kind of live and act and work together. We used to understand this in the United States of America. I think I got a, the picture. My childhood. That's from the Goonies. I mean, think about this. The Goonies, what, like 1986 maybe? Um, they say that, uh, that the kids who, who, were, who grew up in the 80s are the very last generation in the United States of America, in the West, who ever did this. They grew up with the notion that it was totally cool to get you and your buddies together and get on a bike and ride down to Fezziwigs, which was the local, apparently it was a bar. I had no idea. I wasn't zeroed in on that when I was six. But uh, they also had arcade games. That was what I was interested in. And here's the deal. Fezziwigs was owned and operated by a guy who lived a street over from us. So he kind of knew us by sight interesting fact. But we would, we would ride our bikes down there. Um, that was like the, the Holy Grail. Sometimes we go to Playco up on El Toro uh, and stop in at Petco, look at the aquariums with the fish. I mean, we did a, the, the whole point of summer for us growing up was to get out of the house and be gone for as long as humanly possible. This is what we look like now. It's like, wow, those are some really nice homes. Curious that no one's outside. I'm, uh, it's, yeah, like, and, and what's really sad too is, I mean, you, you understand, if you live in Minnesota, why would you want to be outside? It's like frozen tundra up there. But here we are, we have perfect weather all year round, and we're like, and our kids are like, give me that iPad. I'm gonna sit on my bed and play it all day long, you know? And then the thing is, we're glad about that because, man, wouldn't it be scary if they started to, to go out into the neighborhood? And meet some of the neighbors. Those weirdos. Why? Why is that? Well, it's because, and this is the next thing in your note sheets, um, Mary operates in a high-trust, God-fearing culture. A high-trust, God-fearing culture. What do I mean by high trust? High trust means that wherever you go, when you, if your kids go down to Fezziwigs, it's not too big a deal because you know Mr. Fezziwig. And Mr. Fezziwig may not know the names of your kids, but he's seen them on the block. And so he recognizes them. And so he's there just in case they start to get in trouble. In a high-trust society, you're familiar with all the people around you. And not only are you familiar with them, you basically agree on what life should be like. You basically agree on what life should be like. And in in Jesus' culture, Mary's culture, that was a a God-fearing culture. God's at the center That's the center of life, and everything revolves around that. And there's this whole band of people, friends and family, hundreds of people who all live very close to each other, who all agree about this. And as a result, their kids are able to do the kind of stuff that Jesus did. 
They're able to go out and be kids. Now, uh, the, the, the cheap shot, the cheap shot for the, the lazy preacher would be like, be less of a helicopter parent. Give your kids some freedom. The reason that's cheap, though, is because there's a reason why we have changed. It's because our culture has changed. You don't know the people around you, and when you get to meet them, you realize they're very different than you. They have different values than than you do. They have different ideas of what's right, what's wrong, what's good and evil. And that makes things dangerous for your kids. I get that. I understand that. I I don't want to take, you know... Like the super big shot, because I'm a big fan of, uh, of diversity. I believe that we can be a diverse people. What's interesting is that diversity works so long as everyone agrees on what life ought to be like. It's when we start having really radically opposing notions of what childhood is, what adulthood is, what the center of life should be. When that starts to change and gets mixed up and, and no one agrees on it, we stop trusting each other, we stop knowing each other, and as a result, we are forced in some ways to hover Because we're trying to protect our kids. Let's go back um, to the text. Why does this matter? Why is this so important? Why spend so much time thinking about the culture, the way it's changed, the way we've we've drifted so far from what the Bible understands and, and assumes is the right way to live? Why does that matter? I'll show you why it matters. Because when, what, what happened with Jesus is Jesus was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and putting questions to them. Everyone who heard him was amazed by his understanding and his answers. The only reason that Jesus is able to end up in the temple is because he is a part of this kind of society. If he lived in a society like ours, there's no way his parents ever would have let him get, let him get far enough out of their sight that, that he could ever end up doing something amazing like this. Do I, do I have the picture next? Is the picture next? Yes. Okay. This is a Japanese train. I will never forget the moment. It was, I'd been in Japan for about a year, a little over a year, and I, I, in the summer I was taking English classes, or I'm mean, sorry, Japanese, I knew English, Japanese classes, and, uh, and, and, I, and so I was doing a lot of traveling by train, and there came to me a moment where I was standing on the train, and I would always stand and hold, you know, the thing, because I like to look at the people and the countryside, and I was standing there holding on to the little holdy deal thing, and, and, I, and I realized that something was missing. What was missing was the feeling of anxiety that I almost always had when I was traveling. Because I was in this foreign culture, you know, I didn't know the language very well, and so whenever you get on a train, it's like, oh my gosh, I hope this thing goes where I think it's going to go. Because it's not like you can look at a sign and figure, you're like, yeah, probably. And, and there was this moment where I realized I wasn't worried about that. In fact, I was totally comfortable I had enough of what I thought, you know, the language, I had enough of the culture, I had enough of everything where I felt really safe and really confident traveling all over the place. 22 years old, and I was like, I can do this. When I was younger, I thought that was because I was great. Now I realize, later on I realize that was because Japan itself is a very high trust, common culture culture. 
It's a very safe place. They have, everyone agrees on the rules. Everyone knows what life is supposed to be like. Everybody knows everybody. Honestly, one of the first things that happens when you meet a Japanese person is they find out their connection to you. They're like, oh, you teach at that school? Uh, my so-and-so, uh, his son went there, and he had a really great time with so-and-so, the teacher. Do you know that person? And you, oh yeah, I know, I know, I know, Aka-sensei, sure. And then suddenly there's a connection to you. That's the kind of culture that Japan is. And so it's possible in a place like that to have an experience like this. Contrast that with going down to Haiti. Haiti is a very low trust, low common life culture. In fact, it's disastrous to the point that now we have to have 24-7 armed security, paid armed security for our teams when they go down there. Now here's the thing. The opportunities we have in Haiti are way less than the opportunities we have in Japan. Why? Because the culture is different. This is the next thing on your note sheets. Mary's culture affords opportunities for adventurous obedience to God. If you're, you know, 12 or around there and you're in this sermon, do not take this as as license to like just run off to LA for three days. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that because Mary lives in the culture that she lives in, there are possibilities afforded to her and to Jesus that, that we've lost and we're losing in ours. Opportunities for obedience to God that you'll never have if you grow up in Haiti. Because of the way the culture has, has formed and shaped. Am I a bad mom? Look at this. I love this. This is great. She's freaking out. Child! Really, uh, in, in like, if, if you were really to update this, it would be like, Thomas Andrew Bennett! Not child. That's how they do it in their day. Thomas Andrew Bennett! Why did you do this to us? Your father and I. Me and Joseph. How cool is, uh, is Jesus' response? <laughs> Again, young people, do not, this, he's the son of God. You're not allowed to talk to your parents like this. <laughs> and why exactly were you searching for me? Don't you know by now that I gotta be in my father's house? Not Joseph's house and not Nazareth, because Joseph is not really my dad. Something's gone on, um, for Jesus, where he, at some point, we don't know exactly how this works. It's a very complicated thing, and we confess Trinitarianism, that, that Jesus uh, was both fully human and fully God. And part of being fully human is that you grow up and you mature, right? Presumably God doesn't have to do that. And so it's hard to know exactly what Jesus' own understanding of, him, of himself is, but by the time that he's 12, he has figured out something very profound, He's figured out that there is something, there's a connection with him and the, and the Father, Yahweh, that is, it's different. And maybe he's fully aware at this point that he is sharing in the divine nature. It's hard to know. The, the language doesn't, doesn't tell us for sure. And I don't want to speculate too much because I think we, we get beyond scripture and then we start to get into weird theories and stuff. Um, but, but there's an interesting thing in the language. I've, I've added there by now. Um, don't you know by now? Uh, in the, the, the Greek, it's the pluperfect tense, meaning, um, it's like, it's like, it's in the past and it should already have been completed. He's basically saying, mom, you've been with me for 12 years. You've seen how we operate. And it, by now, shouldn't you have really clued in 
on something really important that it's necessary for me to be in my father's house, that it's necessary for me to be in communion with God the Father, you, you, you should have noticed by now. It's, it's, he's definitely chastising. Uh, his mother. That's why uh, Luke makes a huge point to say that after this, he went down to Nazareth and was obedient. Like, he submitted. He, he, it wasn't like Jesus was running the household. But think... If you're Mary, and you're experiencing all this, and you're trying to understand what's going on, well, she doesn't. That's what it says. You know, his parents didn't understand what he said to him. It's like right there. Mary, by this point, has had a number of experiences that she's, uh, and just for the record, for those of you who are like not sure about this whole Jesus thing, you're like, uh, sounds like an invisible fairy in the sky, not sure I buy that. Notice this. This is interesting. Um, this is the, like the third or fourth time that Luke has said, and his, his mother sealed everything that happened in her heart. Some translations will say treasured or cherished. I gotta say that's crazy because this is not the sort of memory that you would cherish. Gosh, remember that time when Jesus was gone for four days and we thought we'd completely lost the Son of God? Yeah, it's great. That's not what happened. Uh, actually, what happened was it was super traumatic for her. And so she, she guarded it. She kept this, this very traumatic memory uh, with her because she didn't understand it. And she didn't know what to make of it. Um, the reason that Luke uh, set, re- repeats this refrain is because after Jesus was raised from the dead, uh, the, the disciples uh, took care of his mother. And, and, he, and she would tell them stories about Jesus when he was younger. And Luke interviewed these people. And he heard these stories that had been given directly from Mary, the mother of Jesus, to them. And that's why he puts them in here. So this is actually, uh, this is not hearsay. This is, this is really like a first-person testimony witness. That's why Luke says that. It's like his, back, his uh, backhanded way of saying that Mary held on to these things and she told me. So just food for thought because I know you don't, it's crazy. The whole Jesus thing, crazy. I get it. Just think about it. Okay. But here's the deal. She doesn't get it. She's confused. She's terrified. And she's a good mom. Remember, it wasn't her fault. So next thing you're in those sheets, even the best moms don't know what God has for their kids. We have hopes and dreams. Um, we have desires. But we don't know the future. We don't know the inner workings of our children. We don't know uh, God's plans. We don't know how the Spirit is going to act and move and, and shape. Even the best of us are, are in the dark on that. So the best that we can do, since we can't you know, tell our kids, you're going to be this, right? The best that we can do then instead is to have them be a part of a culture. Have them be a part of a culture that's kind of like the neighborhood, that affords lots and lots of opportunities, ways for adventure to enter into their lives, a life that's, that's free and freeing. That's the best that we can do is to make sure that they are a part of a high trust culture, a culture where everyone that they're around all the time, for the most part, for the most part, all the time is God-fearing. It's to recapture the neighborhood, the neighborhood that I had in the 80s that has been lost. The culture, the neighborhood, that where my kids are, they're shocked when they find out that there's another kid living on our street. It's true. Also, there's one guy who uh, took his car and he painted it like um, Lightning McQueen from Cars. 
Yeah, it looks just like Lightning McQueen. He's in his 40s, and I'm sketched out a little bit. I'm like, so, and, and then here's the thing. If I were a part of a high-trust culture, I'd knock on the door and be like, so, how are you with the kids? Good? All right. Because then I'd start to get to know him, and then we'd have a, we'd, we'd start to have a different way of interacting, and the neighborhood could become, instead of foreign ground, a safe place again. And then the kids could be adventurous. This is especially important for boys. And they could reach out and, and try new stuff instead of being... You want to be a great mom? Bring back the neighborhood. Bring back the neighborhood. I, uh, I just have a couple of, of thoughts on this um, to try and recreate the kind of culture now that Mary and Jesus had that allowed the amazing things that happened to happen. Um, so the first, churchy church, church. Churchy church, church. Unfortunately, or fortunately, it depends on what you think, but um, we live in a country that is never going to be Christian. If it ever was. I mean, I don't know. It's hard for me to tell. But, but if it ever was Christian, it's not now, and it never will be again, probably. That means that if you want your kids to be a part of a culture where they um, are surrounded by people who basically think the same things as you do um, about what's good, what's, what's real, what's right, what's true— you gotta be in church. And not just any church, but a church where your kids are actually, they actually get to know the other kids. And they get to recognize the adults that are around them. They gotta be in a place where there actually is like a community. And you know, I, I don't wanna take shots at any large churches because a lot of, most large churches I know are really actively trying to do this. Wherever you are, you need to be in a place where your kids become a part of a community of people where they can trust and know that this is what life is like and this is how we're gonna operate. There are some. And this, I mean, there are some here. You're, you're a dude. And, uh, it's Mother's Day, so you got dragged out of bed, and you're here. Man, I am making a plea to you. There is nothing that you can do that will have more benefit for your kids if you, than coming to church with them. Even if you're not sure about it yet. Even if you're like, eh, maybe. It sounds a little, there's too much singing and emotions. I'm not cool with that. I get you. But what you have an opportunity to do is to put your kids in a place where they start to see what life ought to be like. And I think that if you do it long enough, and you pick my brain and the brain of all the other people long enough, I think that you're going to start to buy in. I really do. This parenting thing, it's, it's both ways. And, and, and so moms, uh, stick with it. Stay the course. Keep your kids in churchy church church. Dads, support. Be a part of it. You don't have to jump all in. You can just kind of hang out. But be here. Or whatever place you think is better, which doesn't exist. So don't bother. We got it all right here. Just, okay, moving right along. All right, number two, connective tissue. So my, uh, my brother-in-law, Brett, you're here, yep. Brett told me that he can't play basketball anymore because uh, he was an athlete, or is an athlete. I mean, he's 
really good looking. Um, and, and also very, uh, very coordinated. And apparently, um, at some point, he had, he's injured his knee, I think, enough that, um, all the connective tissue that holds the bones in place has basically been erased. And so now, um, he can't cut, right? Because when he cuts like this, his, like, it'll pop out. <laughs> Which sounds horrible. And he's like, oh, it's no big deal. I just pop it back in. I'm like, all right. <laughs> You're a man. <laughs> uh, what's, what's interesting about that is that, um, moms especially, you have an opportunity to, to become the connective tissue um, for your, your children and family. And, and what I mean by that is when you show up to things and when you're a part of things and when you're here, you start to create relationships with other moms, other dads, and you start to get connected to each other. And when that happens, what, what starts to multiply is that, that, that kids and, and, and parents start to recognize more and more people. They start to be safer and safer in a larger and larger group. And so all the possibilities that come with that increase. I am saying that I think it's very important for us now to recreate what came natural to Mary, which is to be surrounded, women especially, surrounded by other women and other families that are deeply connected in the community. If you do that, it's, it's sort of like regrowing the connective tissue around Brett's knee so that it, that it wouldn't pop, that, that things won't pop out anymore. They're, they're safe, they're held in place because the connective tissue of relationships has been reinvigorated. Last, I don't want to spend too much time on this, marking maturity. I, uh, uh, there will be a future sermon about this, but it, it really comes down to the idea that our calendars um, in the church need to be uh, you know, centered around God rather than around the school year. I think it's cool that we have a school year. Um, that's neat. But, but the church has its own calendar involving things like the birth of Jesus, his death and resurrection, the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, uh, there's lots of different things that we celebrate. And, and if we begin to mark our children's lives around those rather than what the culture says we ought to, I think that might go a long way towards creating that common culture. That's uh, a hobby horse. We'll get back to it at some other point. Uh, number four, last but not least, all hands on deck. There are a couple people here, maybe quite a few, who are sleeping. Um... So, okay, just look over. If the person next to you is sleeping, just, this is the moment for them. And the people who are sleep, who is it? Who, who, Rocco? No, Rocco can sleep. That's fine. Actually, Rocco, get up. Oh, my gosh. That poor kid. He was deep. He was way out. <laughs> uh, the people who are sleeping probably are not moms. Uh, you've been listening and you're either, you don't have, uh, children of your own or maybe your children, uh, are out of the house and so you don't, you're not stressed anymore about, um, you know, momming them. Maybe you're a father and you're like, it's Mother's Day, when's this thing gonna end? Uh, or maybe you're just not interested in kids at all, uh, and you're just over it. This is, this is your moment. Okay. Uh, I said it before, I'm gonna say it again. The reason the church is important is because it doesn't matter if you have kids of your own, you're married, unmarried, divorced, whatever, it doesn't matter what your family looks like. Because you're here and because you're a part of this community, you are now a part of parenting. You know, Hillary Clinton, It Takes a Village. <sighs> I haven't read that book. I'm sure it's terrible. I'm sure it's garbage. Because what does she know? 
Maybe a lot. I don't know. I haven't read it, like I said, but I don't trust politicians. All right, anyway, all I'm saying, that, that's a good title, though. Like, she had a good idea there. Uh, the idea, is, of course, it shouldn't be it takes a village, it takes a church. And part of the reason for that is that we've got people here who have very different experiences and can provide very different perspectives. And, and just because you're not in that like zone of like, oh, I'm raising kids right now, doesn't mean that you don't have a lot to do to mentor, to help, to bring, if you're an older parent, and you help bring the younger parents along. Step in, maybe do a little babysitting. Those kids are exhausting. Just... Steph, again, you should babysit for my kids. <laughs> Can you even imagine? He'd be like, be quiet. Let's do art. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, man. You're good, you're good. Uh, but, but no, seriously, whether you're young, old, whatever, like you have something to provide to help bring our kids up. You are a parent, like it or not. And the only way you can get away from that is to leave us. Don't do that. We're trying to grow. Uh, last thing. We're not going to be weird about it. You know, some, maybe some of you have some experiences in the past where, like, church got super intense. And they're, like, everyone was involved in each other's business and, you know, judging each other. And that's not how we roll. We're like a healthy family where people know each other, we care about each other, but we're not, like, all up in each other's grill all the time. We're not sitting around being like, oh, you got to do that. No, no, we kind of live and let live, and we let the scriptures guide how, how we think and, and, and act. But in the midst of that, we have become and are becoming a place where there's a lot of opportunity to recreate that neighborhood, to bring it back. And if you're ever worried whether or not you're a bad mom, just ask, am I part of the neighborhood? Because if so, I think you're doing really well. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for um, the mothers. Thank you for the influence, the impact that we can have on our kids. Thank you for the hearts, the, the selflessness, the, the worry, the energy, the relentlessness that the moms bring to to our lives. God, I pray um, that we'll be self-conscious about bringing back the neighborhood, that we'll be self-conscious and, and really intentional about recreating in a, just a barren culture the kind of life that you have set up and affirmed and validated for children. I pray that um, the kids here are going to be safe and adventurous and wild and fun and yet committed to your way. Let us be uh, your neighborhood. In Jesus' name, amen.